Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 is where our scripture context will become out of tonight and over the last few weeks, and then next week we'll conclude this small study that we've been going through on Wednesday evenings about godliness. What does it mean to be godly? And if you have your scriptures, we're going to see just a couple of things about how important godliness is. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter number 4, it says, but refuse profane and old wise fables. Don't, don't do that which is secular. Don't believe in that which is superstitious. But pursue, the Bible says, rather that, but exercise thyself rather unto godliness. I want to know what God's will is for my life. I don't necessarily, uh, though I respect uh, many people in our lives, I don't necessarily care what Stan wants for my life. I want to know what God wants for my life. Though that I love Stan, but I'm not here to impress Tony because Tony's not in charge of heaven. <laughs> and so, though I, I appreciate Tony, I want to know what God wants for my life. So godliness matters. Godliness matters on a number of different things. And so the Bible says, refuse traditions, profane, old wives' fail, tables, uh, fables. Don't be listening to what Zeus says, or Athens says, or Achilles says, or uh, Aphrodite says. None of those things matter. Those are profane. Those are worldly wisdom. But exercise yourself. You've got to put the work in for godliness. In verse number 8, it says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto how many things? If you're with me, how many things? is How many? Oh, so in every area of life, godliness profits me. It profits me. It profits me in business. It profits me in my marriage. By the way, if you have not signed up for our couples refresher, this Friday night is our couples refresher. We have, I believe the number I was told is 90 couples that have signed up so far for our couples refresher. Friday night, 6.30, we're going to have a great catered meal in here. You'll be able to hear from Peter Mord. We have some games and activities. If you've never come to a couples refresher, there's families that are coming from out of town who have come to past couples refreshers. I think you'll enjoy it. So sign up, be part of our couples refresher, and uh, you can get information in the lobby. I believe in the bulletin you can find some information out as well or go to experienceliberty.com and uh, you can sign up. There is child care available. Great thing. Godliness will help your marriage. Okay? If your marriage is in trouble, godliness will help your marriage. If your health, if your health is not where it's supposed to be, godliness will help your health. In every area of life, with your, with your relationship with your mother-in-law, godliness will help your relationship with your mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is here tonight. She's a godly woman. I try to be a godly man. We have a great relationship, don't we, Mom? Oh, I'm so glad she said yes. <laughs> Wouldn't have been awkward if she stood up and walked out the door there, just been like, I hate that guy. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd be an awkward thing. Uh, I love that lady. She gave me the greatest gift I've ever wanted. She gave me a wonderful wife named Brianna, and I love my relationship with Brianna. Well, godliness allows us to have a good relationship. By the way, um, today is Valentine's Day, and if your husband hasn't done something nice for you, it's because he was saving that special surprise for after church. So just, <laughs> just, just like, oh, and husbands, if you just realized it's Valentine's Day, oh, that special surprise better be good after church is over. 
<laughs> so godliness will help every area of your life. It will do a hundred different things in a hundred different ways because the scripture, if the promise of God is true, look at verse number eight again, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You should accept this. You should embrace this saying. I want godliness in my life. It's worthy of all acceptation. I'm going to full body hug this one. This is something I do not want to let go. These things, uh, for therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Now look at verse number 11. These things command and teach. Now, God puts a principle in place here, and it's about a principle of unified godliness. Unified godliness is something that is not just for the elite. It's not just for the people that are the good ones. It's not just for the Super Bowl champions. It's for people of everyone. And God says that we are to command and we are to teach these things in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11. Now, what does that mean? It means I should tell people how to be godly. So if I see Greg, I should be saying, Greg, you need to be godly. You need to live godly. You need to act godly. Now, he gives us two different phrases that we're supposed to follow in that. It's one thing for us to tell somebody, hey, Rob, be godly. You need to live godly, Emily. Will, be godly. Just be godly. And we can frustrate people in our ability to say, just command it. You better be godly. Be better. You got to be godly. The Bible says these things command, tell people, but number two, he says we should give them instructions on how to be godly. Have you ever been told to do something and you don't know how to do it? Have you ever tried to put something together without the instructions? It seems pretty straightforward. Who needs these? And about three hours later, you're digging in the trash and underneath the rabble of stuff. If you've ever been in that situation, the Bible teaches us this, that that's how, there's the implication here, that's how many folks get when they're being told to be godly. As Christians, we can live a life that says, you need to be godly. You need to be godly. You need to be godly. And we can tell folks to be godly. But God says, don't just tell folks you need to be godly. He says, teach them how to do that. Have you ever, is there anybody here that's a fisherman? Okay, a couple of you are fishermen. I am not a good fisherman. I've wanted to be a good fisherman because fisherman's one of those things that is very masculine. And, and I'm a very masculine individual, but I'm not a person who knows how to fish very well. And so in fishing, I've gone out fishing, and people, they're like, they're, do this and do this. It wasn't until somebody showed me how to bait a hook, and it wasn't until show, somebody showed me how to cast a line that I thought, oh, now I know what I'm doing. Because I remember, I remember the first time I went fishing, it was with my dad, and they had one of those little bobbers, you know, those little red and white bobbers that bloop, bloop, bloop like that? I thought that was the thing that caught the fish. Because when I was watching Pinocchio or some cartoon, when they threw it in there, that thing was the thing that was getting people to come. I didn't know that the fish actually took a hook and put it in their mouth and it like, uh, got them like, I didn't know that's how the whole thing went. And so the first time I went fishing as a kid, I put this thing in and I throw it in the creek thinking, we're going to catch fish because fish love little red and white bobbers. And oftentimes in our life, we are telling folks to do things. So God tells us godliness has to be commanded. Yes, it is right to command. You be godly. You do right. You be godly. You do right. 
That's right, that's good, that's important to do. But he also says it should be taught. Godliness needs to be taught, not just what to do, but how to do that. If you're going to fish, this is how you fish. If you're going to drive, this is how you drive. My daughter tomorrow is taking her driver's test for her driver's license. Yeah, no, it's awesome whenever they get them because you can be like, go to the store. And it's a great thing whenever the kids get their driver's license. This is our third one going through it. And, and to be honest with you, on this third one going through it, I thought it would be easier because you should have absorbed by osmosis how things are supposed to happen. But even on the way here tonight, on the way here tonight, you're, you're praying. <laughs> even so, Lord, come quickly. You know, you're praying as you're going through certain things because there's a do this, do this. How do I do this? Parking is the weirdest thing. Because we park, and I'm like, well, make a question mark with, the, with your parking. So come and take a little thing and do this or do this. And, and how? How do I do that? Turn left, turn left. The other left, the other left. And it's because all of us have a need, not just to be told what to do, park the car. But I'm reminded of this every time I get in a car. You got to be told how to do something. Okay, so here is the important thing about godliness. God tells us in a world that is ignorant of the things of God, God tells us don't just tell people what to do. We have to teach them how to do it. If that makes sense, say yes. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says this. This is where unified godliness comes in. It says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and in faith impurity. Now, do you see where the how comes into the what? Don't just do this, but now I'm going to tell you how you do this. A couple of things that are said here. He says, let no man despise thy youth. The let no man there is a unique word. It's used about 92 times in the Greek New Testament. It says, do nothing that would allow this to take place. Don't do anything that would allow what? Despising to take place. Let no man. So there are things that I can do. There are things that I can do that if you were to see my life, you would say, oh. How many of you have been in a place like that? You may have seen somebody, you've interacted with somebody, and then it's like, oh. I thought higher of you. I thought, I thought better of you than that. I was in the Ontario Mills parking lot with a group of teenagers one day. And we had just gone, I believe we were at a Chick-fil-A, and we were going into the Ontario Mills, California. Uh, it's a large mall, like a mile, a square mile walk around. And um, there's a big game works, a big arcade and shopping. So we were going to spend a couple of hours in there. And one of the kids who had his Chick-fil-A drink, he was done with his Chick-fil-A drink, and as we were walking in, about 10 or 15 of us, as we were walking in, he took his drink and he chucked it underneath one of the cars. And we're just walking, and I, and I grabbed him. I said, what are you doing? What? I said, you just threw that underneath the car. I was done with it. Oh, well, that makes sense then. <laughs> at least you're not wasting because there's starving kids in Africa. You know, at least you're a good steward. No, you are going to go climb underneath that car and get it. How am I supposed to climb underneath the car and get it? I don't know, but you're the one who put it there. And for about two or three minutes, 
uh, as the rest of the group get in there, I stood back there in the parking lot, and he was crawling, and he was a bigger kid. He was crawling underneath, and he couldn't get it, and then he was putting his leg underneath and trying to get it. Pastor Matt, do I have to? Yes, you got to do this, because this is what you, we all got out of this van. Everyone knows we're from Liberty Baptist Church, and you don't do that. Because he had done something, though I, I think very highly of this individual today. Um, he had done something that made me, what? Despise his youth. Okay? Now, God says this. We can all do things. The person who's receiving this letter from the inspiration of God through the apostleship of Paul is a guy named Timothy. He's a young pastor, probably in his 30s, about to take ownership or leadership of a church. The admonition to him is, you're going to be uh, an example for godliness. And so we need to be unified in thy godliness so you can let no man. You must do nothing that would allow what to take place. Despising. What is despising? Think poorly of or to look down upon. So the word despise means to think poorly of or to look down upon. Oh, I just don't like that. Is there something that as soon as that name comes into your mind, it brings a negative connotation? Is there a person that whenever you hear that name, it brings a negative connotation? It might even be a biblical name. But as soon as you think that name, oh, it brings a negative connotation. It may have been somebody from a past relationship, an ex-spouse, a creep for a son-in-law, unless you were... <laughs> wasn't me. Wasn't me, Debbie. You... You and I, we're on good terms, right? But it was somebody that you don't like. And even if, you, even if it's not talking about that person, you hear that name. Or maybe it's a location. I've met many people that whenever they think of Las Vegas, there's an immediate negative reaction because Las Vegas was a negative experience for them. They lost money. They have sinful regrets here. They have scars that they're dealing with. So when I meet somebody and I say, oh, I'm from Las Vegas, have you ever done this? You ever seen somebody say, oh, I'm from Las Vegas? And somebody goes, oh. How many of you have been in that situation? Okay. Because that, there's a despising of that, especially amongst Christian communities. God says, don't let anyone look down upon you. Don't do anything that would make somebody look down upon you, your behavior. Why? Let no man despise thy youth. And now this is what's ex exciting. It says, be thou an example. Now this is fascinating. The Bible teaches us that young men should lead. There should be inside of our churches and inside of our context a desire to set young people up for success. We should, be, we should be a foundation, a nursery, a, uh, a breeding ground for young men to become leaders, for young people to exercise responsibility, to navigate life. Because he says to this young man, he says, you should be what? An example. Oh, an example. What is that? Actions can qualify or disqualify a person. If you know that someone has had three DUIs, do you want them driving your kids to camp? No, because they, they may have gotten through that season and they may not be imbibing alcohol at this time, but actions can qualify or disqualify. So here, young men are intended to lead, but there's a purposeful understanding that Proverbs 20 and verse 11 says, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Actions can qualify or disqualify. You might have a pure heart, 
But if you have a history of doing foolish things, then you may qualify yourself or disqualify yourself from an action. So he says, don't do something that would make somebody disqualify you from ministry. Put yourself in a place where you're an example of the believer. Age is not a qualifier of ability. That's a really good point. Age is not a qualifier of ability. How many of you know a foolish old person? Don't we all? Aren't there? And if you don't, you can turn on the television. They're all over the place. There's a whole lot of foolish old people. There just really are. And, and you can see them in a number of different contexts. You can see them in a number of different places. Just because somebody is old does not mean that they are necessarily wise. This is also true. Some youth exhibit wisdom. Aren't there some young people that you would rather take the keys to your car and drive rather than some old people? 100%. So here's a great truth. Age is not a qualifier of ability. God says, you're going to lead a church. You're going to be an example to ministry. And since you're going to be an example to ministry, don't allow the fact that you are younger than some people disqualify you from taking the reins or the ability to do something. I love this because it shows me that God wants to use people at every age. Does God honor old people? 100%. In fact, we're going to see that in the next few points that God desires for old people to be honored. There is success that has been found in age. But it also shows us this, that God would rather use a person who is sold out to him rather than a person who has experience. Here's a case in point. How old was King Saul whenever Goliath was barking out blasphemies? How old was he? Well, he was probably 40. He was probably in the prime of life, 45. <laughs> 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 probably the perfect age for, for a person. He was, he was probably 40 to 50 years old whenever he is sitting on the throne and Goliath comes out and says, fee-fi-fo-fum, and he's doing all of that nonsense. Who had experience in battle? Who had the ability to do things? Who was commissioned? Who was, who was set as the champion of Israel? It was Saul. He was set as the champion of Israel. Who was the one who went out and took the head off, a, uh, off of a giant? Well, it was a young man. It was a shepherd boy, 16, 17-year-old dude. So the point is this. Age is not a qualifier of ability. That's a person who is an example of the believer. And transparency produces trust. So whenever a person is more candid and open about their faults, about their failures, about their strengths, it produces trust. A person doesn't always have to be right in order to lead, but I believe that a person must always be real. You have to be transparent. Oh, if a person can't admit their own failure, if a person can't say, yeah, I got rolled on that one, oh, I messed up on that one, if a person can't admit when they are wrong, they're going to put themselves in a very difficult place. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not, what, prosper. So when a person is constantly saying, well, that's not my fault, or taking the blame game and putting it on somebody else, they're not going to put themselves in a place of success. Transparency produces trust. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, let a man be examined. Beside those things without which they come upon me daily, the care of the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 28. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Moreover, a person who's leading the church, talking specifically about a bishop or a pastor here, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into approach in the snare of a devil. Just because a person has an ability or just because somebody has a desire doesn't mean that they are ready for a position. There was a time when a man named Jeremy came to our church and he once started a French ministry in our church. And um, he came, came to church for several weeks. He was uh, from, uh, from Haiti. And there were a lot of migrants that were coming to Nevada, specifically at that time. And he had gone to a Bible college. He had studied. He had understood the scriptures. And he seemed very well put together. As we were talking with him, this is probably about 12 years ago now, I asked him, would you give me three references about whether or not uh, we should pursue this, move forward, see if this is an opportunity that we want to take advantage of. He said, yes. He gave me all three references, okay? I called the first reference. The first reference said, um, I haven't talked to him in 10 years. I have no idea what he's doing. The second one said, I'm not sure. I don't know that I would trust him with that responsibility. The third guy said, the only way you can know if Jeremy is lying is if his lips are moving, okay? <laughs> so with those three references, <laughs> with the references he provided, right? <laughs> With those three references, we made a decision that it wasn't a good idea to move forward in a hiring process with this individual because he had not demonstrated a what? A good report of them which are without and the, <laughs> much less those who are believers. There was no ability in him to demonstrate, oh, I have a good report. So when I am transparent, I can admit my faults, I can ask for forgiveness, but I can also say this is a conviction with which I'm going to go forward with. Transparency develops trust. When I'm constantly in a place where I have to say, well, I just felt this was the right thing, or I just think this is good, or I've never had to ask forgiveness of anybody. When a person is in a place like that, they're not in a place where God can honor that because the Bible says God resisteth the what? And he gives grace unto the what? So transparency, he gives grace unto the humble. God resisteth the proud, and he gives grace unto the humble. So there must be transparency. Here, young person, a person desiring to lead, 30-year-old person, God desires for you to be transparent. Do you have a difficult time being open? Oh, what is the hardest thing to say in a marriage? Worst to sire sauce. But after that, <laughs> but after that, it's I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Oh man, that's hard. Isn't that hard? I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Oh, that's really hard. Because there was something that they did. And I'm not sure they necessarily meant that they were sorry. I don't believe that they were wrong. And I'm not sure that they're ready to be forgiven. I'm sorry I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? My pastor in college, his name is Jim Shetler. Pastor Shetler said this way, a soft answer turneth away wrath. And he said, do you know what a soft answer is? No. He said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? When you put yourself in a place where you say, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, that's, that's not asking forgiveness. That's just saying, you're a little... Um, a weakling who has easily offended feelings. <laughs> Go take a mental health day and avoid peanuts. Okay, that's what you're saying to the person. I mean, you go do you and have your little mental health day. Okay, 
I'm not, I'm sorry, not just I'm sorry, but I was wrong. I'm the offending party here, not you. And then number three, now I've taken it off of me and I've said, will you please forgive me? Now the action is, I've admitted my wrong, will you put, give me the action of forgiveness as well? <sighs> Transparency builds trust. Number, whatever number we're on. Experience does not equal example. Just because somebody has experience does not mean that they're ready to be the example. I had a uh, family member who was a union truck driver for 30 plus years, okay? Now, I, if you're a union person, awesome, good. I'm glad that you're working, you're doing your thing. But have you ever met somebody who's in a position where they can't be fired because they have tenure? And this tenure or this ability to not be fired, doesn't matter what they do, they're never going to get fired. And so they get put in a cubicle and they, I don't even know what they do, they just go get put in a cubicle and they have this job that does not necessarily qualify them to speak at anything. Well, I've done it for 30 years. Experience does not equal example. Um, notice this, that God desires for the ministry of the church to be a multi-generational ministry. Isn't that great? That God desires for ministry to be multi-generational. God doesn't just want to have a church for 20-somethings. God doesn't just want to have a church for 80-somethings. God desires for all people. Notice how, we, how do we know that? Because be thou, you, don't let a man despise your youth. Probably a guy in his 30s, Timothy. You, guy in his 30s, be thou an example to the what? To the believers. What is the age of the believers there? Well, isn't that, doesn't that qualify as all? So in multi-generational ministry, where a person uh, like me in their 40s should have a ministry to somebody in their teens. I should have a ministry to somebody in their 70s because my age does not qualify me to speak into a person's life. What qualifies me to speak in a person's life is the Word of God. Because frankly, do you remember how I said earlier I don't necessarily care what Tony's opinion is of me? None of you care what my opinion is of you either. Because my opinion means very little in the grand scheme of things. But if the Word of God speaks and the Word of God shares something, there is great value, right? So it is not necessarily my ability to communicate the experiences that I have or the things that I haven't done that give me permission to share truth. The thing that gives me the permission to share truth is truth. So truth is always truth, regardless of who's speaking it, okay? But even though truth is being spoken, we've already saw that I can make myself disqualified by stupid behaviors. Inappropriate behaviors can disqualify me from even being able to speak truth. So in a multi-generational ministry, we see this. We see that believers learn from each other. Oh, the 70-year-old learns from the 15-year-old, and the 15-year-old learns from the 50-year-old, and they all learn from each other. Believers learn from each other. How do you know that? The Bible says, yea, all of you be in subjection, what? One to another. The Bible tells us that we're all supposed to be, 1 Peter chapter 5, all of us are a subjection one to another. You, there's no lords over God's heritage, yea, all of us are a subjection one to another. The youngest Christian can offer great um, lessons to the most mature Christian, their zeal, their passion, 
their desire to serve the Lord, their ambition to tell people about Jesus Christ, the maturity of an older believer who can say, it's okay, not everyone's going to come to Christ the first time you hand them a track, can help nurture. Do you see how the body fitly joined together truly makes a multi-generational ministry? A multi-generational ministry has to have teenagers, has to have senior citizens. If it does not, we are missing out on the best that God has for us. Oh man, super important that believers learn from each other. Silo conversations are not healthy. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This is really good because what happens oftentimes, especially as we become older in life, we, we become more defined in our preferences. And as we become more defined in our preferences, we, we don't like to be antagonistic because our preferences make us, can I use the C word, comfortable. And so since we become comfortable, we don't want to have our comfort jostled. And the closer and the older we get, the older we get, the more comfortable we want. There are things that I do today when I'm at 45 that, um, that I wished I would do when I was 22. I remember the first time Brianna and I went on a weekend adventure by ourselves after we were married, went on a weekend adventure, and we stayed at a cheap hotel. It was a one-and-a-half-star hotel that I got for 28 bucks. And I'm like, awesome! You, and I, I just want you to know, and I don't want to be, sound like a snob, I don't want to sound picky, I don't want to sound like an elitist, but I just want you to know, I'll never stay in a hotel like that if at all possible. I mean, anything... I'm never staying in a one-and-a-half-star ho hotel off of Harbor Avenue and Interstate 5 in Southern California. I'm never doing that again. You say, well, oh, you're so rich. You can afford more than a $28 hotel. Or I stay home. <laughs> because, because there's certain things. I, why would you never stay in a $28 hotel? Because I like my comfort. I like to be able to not wonder what died in the room the night before, all right? Because the older I get, the more comfortable I like to be. And this is what's fascinating. Sometimes as we grow in our age, we become siloed in our conversations, and we never allow anybody else to jostle, to sharpen our opinion, or to speak any other thoughts or ideas into our life. And so we become siloed, and it's team me, and it's team me, and whoever's on my team, they're with me because he gets us. And so the people that get us, we talk about the way that they get us, and the people that get us, we talk about the way we get us, and so we become siloed in our conversation, and we never hear from one side or another. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 19, such a great verse, the Bible says, whether out of pretense or of truth, herein do I rejoice that the gospel of Christ, that, that, that Christ is preached. And so in a very important way, it's important that we allow folks to speak, and we are what? We're swift to hear, and we're slow to speak. If you've not had a conversation with somebody who might have a differing sense of opinion than you in a while, then maybe it's time to get out of your comfort zone. It's easy for me because I love being comfortable. Uh, oh, I love whenever people say, that was really good. You know what I don't like? I don't like when people say, you know, you, you kind of messed up there. Oh, I don't like those. 
But it's important because whenever I'm speaking truth, it's important that I'm speaking truth and not just sharing my opinion. So conversations matter. Silo conversations are not health, healthy. Wherefore, my brother, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to sleep, speak. You see what it says. Next verse. <laughs> this is really important. Friction creates better Christians. If there is friction in my life, it makes me better. It makes me better. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. So if there is somebody who is kind of grating on me a little bit, maybe that's somebody that I need to listen to more. I read a book, and I don't remember who the author was, but he said when somebody confronts you about something that really bothers you, that's probably the thing you need to work on the most. Oh, I don't like that kind of stuff because I like my comfort. But friction creates a better Christian. When there's somebody who is willing to speak truth or speak a hard thing or even speak something that's different. If you, <laughs> the other day I was reading a book and I got about 100 pages into the book and I, I, was, I had to write a report on it. And so on this, I'm like, oh, this book is garbage. I'm like, this is the most garbage book I've ever read. And I'm just redlining all through it, redlining all through it. And as I'm read, redlining all through it, I was talking to a professor. And he said, you probably should read that book again because it's challenging you in ways you've probably not been thought of, you haven't thought about for a long time. He's probably right. Now, I'm not saying, I, I'm pretty dogmatic on my point of views, and I'm pretty dogmatic about what I believe. I, I'm, I understand what I believe. But every once in a while, it's good to be challenged. I remember when I had dinner with my next-door neighbors who were Muslim. Oh, that was, that was really good, because they were wonderful people and they were making me dinner. I mean, that's wonderful people right there. She made me a, a beautiful Afghani uh, meal from Afghanistan. We went over there, and they invited our kids to go swimming in their backyard, and we just sat there, and then they started talking about Islam, and they started speaking to me about the Quran. And these weren't just passive uh, mus uh, Muslims. These were dedicated Muslims. And that conversation helped me to grow they didn't convert to Christianity. I didn't convert to Chris, uh, Islam, but I'll tell you what it did. It made me study the scriptures more. Because when they threw out questions and I wasn't talking to somebody who believed exactly the way I believed, it made me study the scriptures more. Have you had a conversation like that lately? When was the last time you had a question or a conversation with somebody that made you just a little bit more uncomfortable? In our American Christianity, aren't we very comfortable? And so iron sharpens iron. Friction creates better Christians. So be thou an example to the believers. Fresh perspectives help. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17 that fresh perspectives, here, you can't put new wine into old skins and old skins into old wine. They're, they're supposed to, there's certain things that are for different seasons, but it's good to get new perspectives. So here's a, I'm not going to go into all of it, but here's a parable where the Lord says, if it's this, it's supposed to be with this, and if it's this, it's supposed to be with this. But understand, it's okay if there's new wine that's coming in. I'm not going to go into the whole parable. I can't get into it right now. But the Bible teaches us that fresh perspectives help. Have you allowed somebody to speak a fresh perspective or a new idea into your life? Oh, it's so good. It's so challenging. It's the worst ever. 
It really is. It's the most tiring thing ever. But be thou an example to the believers. Age, this is beautiful, age gives perspective. Age gives perspective. In 1 Kings chapter 12, this is where valuing somebody who has experience is important. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, the wisest, son, the wisest man's son is a guy named Rehoboam. Rehoboam ascends to the leadership of Israel after Solomon passes away. And Rehoboam is commissioned with his first task of being king. Solomon's first task of being king was, what are we going to do with this baby of a prostitute? And his decision is, let's cut it in half. What? No, here, take it. That's your baby then. Oh, wow. Why? Because you were willing to let the baby be killed. That's your baby. When the similar test was given to the, uh, to the son of Solomon, whose name is Rehoboam, the test is this. It has nothing to do with babies and whose baby does it belong to. It has everything to do with taxation. And in the taxation, there's a guy named Jeroboam who says, could you lighten the load of the taxes? We're paying taxes on this. We're paying taxes on this. We're paying taxes on this. Would you lighten the load of the taxes? Rehoboam says, okay, yeah. Uh, thank you for your request. As king, I shall consult my advisors. He gets all the old dudes together. Sits with the old dudes. Hey, old guys, what do you think we should do? You know what? It's so beautiful. Look at what they say. And King Rehoboam counseled with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived. And he said, how do you advise that I make answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, rather than taking, rather than asserting your masculinity, if you'll be a servant this day, these people, they will serve you forever. You want to be a king for a long time? Serve these people, and they will follow you to the ends of the earth. He goes to the young guys. Hey, guys. Can you see him walking in the young guy's room? They start high-fiving, chest-bumping each other. Oh, okay. What do you guys think we should do? Crush them, smash them, beat them. Huh? Tell, them that, tell them that your pinky's going to be stronger than your dad's whole core. Yeah, yeah. And Rehoboam walks out of there, and he's like, your taxes? Yes, sir. They're going up. <laughs> Guess what happened next? Civil war. And the nation was never unified again. It became scattered, became obliterated. Oh, there'd be fractions of people that would gather again, but the nation would never be the same because a man didn't listen to a person with perspective. So counsel comes in a multi-generational ministry where age gives perspective. You know, I saw this before back in the 70s. When somebody says something like that, listen up. I saw this before back in the 70s. Let me tell you what happened in 2008. I'm, I'm at this weird age of life where I'm 45 years old to where some people, I'm really, I'm a young kid. It's really funny. And then some people, I'm like almost a grandpa. Literally, I'm almost a grandpa. They're like, whoa, you're, how old are you? <laughs> What's it like being that old? <laughs> Can you see? <laughs> you know, things like that. It's just funny, funny age. And at this age, but at every age, it's so important to understand somebody's been through it before. I remember what it was like in 2008. I remember, I remember in uh, October of 2008, I was folding laundry on a Monday morning as the stock market went down 700 points in one day. And I was watching CNN and I thought, 
Seven, I'd never seen that before in my life. Went down 700 points in one day. I remember a guy who was my age saying, Vegas will never fail. Vegas will never suffer. Every place else will suffer, but Vegas will never suffer. And he said that to me in 2007. I remember sitting on the back porch of his house, overlooking the valley of Las Vegas. Vegas will never suffer. And then a year later, house prices were what? 30%, 40% of what they were uh, just a year before? Why? Because somebody wasn't listening to age with perspective. Age gives perspective. In an multi-generational ministry, we understand number, two, number next, that those people who are old have been winning at life. What do you mean they were winning at life? They didn't die at 29. <laughs> the guy, he was epic. He was awesome. He was crazy. He was so extreme. He died. Okay? <laughs> if they have gray hairs, they have done something good to get those gray hairs. Whatever it is, they made it to 65. <laughs> They're doing pretty good. Notice the glory of young men is their strength. Rawr! What's the beauty of an old man? They got gray hairs. They, they were able to live through a couple of wars. They survived a pandemic or two. They got through the Biden administration. Family is the ultimate win. <laughs> family. We're close. We're close. We're almost there, people. Maybe. Lord, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, okay? Family is the ultimate win. Oh, in a multi-generational ministry, we recognize that family is the ultimate win because children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. Unified worship, this is so good. Unified worship is kingdom living. When 70-year-olds and 15-year-olds are singing the same songs and praising the same Savior and giving to the same causes, that is what the kingdom is all about. Jeremiah gives a prophecy about what will happen after the punishment of, of disobedience has come to fruition and God restores his people. Notice this. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance. Young girls will be dancing. It will be a time of celebration. And both young men and old men together. Oh, isn't that beautiful? When, when worship is complete, when worship is the way it's supposed to be in kingdom living, it is young and old lifting up a multi-generational ministry. Isn't that beautiful? For I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. It, I think that's a little peek into what heaven is all about. Till I come, give attendance to reading and exhortation and to doctrine. Unified godliness. This is so good, and we're going to wrap it up with this. The Bible tells us this in verse number 13. Till I come, give attention to reading and exhortation to the doctrine. What are the doctrines? The doctrines are found in verse number 12. The first doctrine is words. Make sure your words match the word. And from that thou hast known thy holy scriptures. Make sure the things you say you believe match, match what God says. Well, this is what I heard. I saw a YouTube video about this. Okay, make sure that you know what the word of God says lifestyles should reflect our words. But above all things, brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, lest ye fall into condemnation. God says that our lifestyles should reflect what our words say we believe. The Bible says, number three, that we are to give selflessly. Give and it shall be given unto you. God desires for us to tithe, be a person who is giving 10% of our income to the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse number 8, the Bible says, Will a man rob God? Ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? 
in tithes and offerings, the Lord says to his people in the Old Testament. We should be in grace giving. All people should be together in grace giving. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth what? A cheerful giver. This is unified, multi-generational. We all give together. Um, we give in spirit. The Bible tells us this, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. God doesn't want people walking around being grumpy heads. He wants us to have a spirit that would reflect the Lord. In faith, and this is where not just command, but teach comes in. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as written, the just shall live by faith. We're going to talk about this on Sunday, but faith is believing God and obeying him. Not just speaking out the words, but faith is believing God and obeying him. I'm going to do what God's word says to do. I'm supposed to, get, I'm supposed to marry my boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll marry them. I'm supposed to uh, give, I'm going to give. I'm supposed to serve, I'm going to serve. I'm supposed to witness, I'm supposed to witness. Purity, that is, that is true faith. Purity, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. What the last verse, what the last word in verse number 12 is purity. How do we live pure? The way we live pure is when we mess up, we go into God's throne and say, God, I messed up. This is such a beautiful verse. The Bible tells us this. If you know Christ as your Savior tonight, say yes. Okay, this is what the Bible says. When you messed up today, go boldly into the throne of grace. You don't come in. Have you ever seen somebody walk timidly into church? Do you know how God says you're supposed to walk into the throne of grace? You're supposed to walk into the throne of grace like Luke walks into my office after school every day at 312. Every day at 312. Pastor Shore was in there. I think you were in there yesterday when Luke comes in. Luke never knocks, does he? Luke never, Luke never knocks. He doesn't even look in. Luke comes barreling in there. Door flies open. He's pulling his back, uh, Superman backpack or Spider-Man backpack. It's like, oh, hey, Dad. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. I'm going to go. All right, good. You know why he does that? Because it's his dad's office. And he respects pastors. She's not trying to be disrespectful. It's just his dad's office. And so he lives. He literally lives in that office multiple hours a week. <laughs> so, oh, it's dad's office, okay? That's how God says you're supposed to come into him. Well, I did something naughty. God says, come on in. Let's have a talk about it. But I was, I, was, I was bad. Come on in. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving me something I don't deserve. And that we may obtain what? Mercy. You know what you need today? You need grace and you need mercy. You need God to give you something you don't deserve and you need him not to give you something that you do deserve. What do you deserve? You deserve a swat on the behind. All of us do. Okay? I'm, I'm a dumb person, I do bad things, and you are as well, okay? So what do I do? God, could you please not uh, let me experience the consequences of that foolish decision? But, but you spent the money and you knew you didn't have it. I know, God. Could you be merciful to me? What did the, the man who was praying say? Oh, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And every one of us have the privilege of going into God's, God's throne room and saying, I need grace, I need mercy. And guess what God gives us? He gives us swift kick in the pants to help you in the time of need. Is that what the Bible says? No, he gives grace to help in the time of need. So when you mess up, when you blow it, the purity comes. How do I get pure before God? 
I go get the grace and mercy that 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therein brings unified godliness. Thank you, Lord, for the time together tonight. I pray that you would use it for your glory. Encourage us through your word and the time together tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.